0: Rugby fans, gin fans, beer fans, festival fans. Don't forget, on the 10th and 11th of May of this year, so not far away, is the Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival at the old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. Um, Friday evening, which is the 10th, music, live bands, scarf, beer, and then on Saturday, more of the same. But it's also on Saturday, we've got an invitational rugby, rugby match going on. Between a military veteran's side and Oldham uh, Antonians veterans team, so rugby veterans, they are veterans by age, but not by military. Uh, the military side, we're looking for more players for that. Uh, and if you, if you just want to come along, be a guest and watch watch yours truly moi get smashed in my first rugby match I've played in years, then you more than come along. If you if you buy the tickets now, then they're only a fiver. If you arrive in the day of the tenner. But it's well worth the effort. Uh, The event is raising money for various uh, charities, including military charities. It's going to be a cracking event. It's also going to be um, the HR guest party for this year. So all the guests, HR guests and um, supporters are going to be invited along as well. Please rock up for that, 10th and 11th of May. I will see you there. Go to rugbyforheroes.org. Um, for tickets, uh, at rugbyforheroes.org, or get them on social media, rugby number four heroes. And if all that fails, then message me or the podcast online, and we'll help you out. I look forward to seeing you there. Rugby for Heroes are also one of the sponsors for today's show. As mentioned, they're a um, they're an organisation formed by rugby players, for, predominantly of rugby players from Old Lemontonians RFC, and since 2009 they've been organising events to raise money for various military charities. Uh, it was formed in two thousand and nine off the back of um, Joe Whitaker, Private Joe Whitaker getting killed in Afghanistan when he was serving with um when he was serving with the parachute regiment. And in the ten years since Rugby Heroes have been going, they've raised over a hundred thousand pounds, which is amazing for such a small organisation with the volunteers who go balls out to try and get things uh get things organised to raise money for for charitable organisations. Thank you very much Rugby Heroes. Also sponsoring us today are Team Rubicon UK. Team Rubicon UK are a disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers. Those volunteers are proudly known as grey shirts. I myself am a grey shirt. Well, I'm a grey shirt in training. I signed up as a volunteer earlier this year uh, online at TeamRubiconUK.org. I've done some online courses, and now I'm just waiting to go down to Chilmark, where their HQ is, and and do some proper hands-on training there, ready to be able to respond to disasters, both here in the UK, such as the flooding and things like that, but also overseas. Team Rubicon recently, most recently, has sent out teams in, in response capacity to Indonesia deploying out on Christmas Day, I think it was the last two that went out there, giving up their Christmas to go out to Indonesia where they've been smashed by monsoons and tsunamis to go and help those people in their times of need. Team Rubicon UK not only need volunteers, but they also need funds to really continue to do this work and, and be on standby uh, to be able to provide as much capability as they can. So if you're able to volunteer, do so at teamrubiconuk.org. But if you can also donate, even the smallest amount helps, you can go to teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate. Team Rubicon UK. Thank you very much. My guest today is Chloe Wesley. Uh, I came across Chloe on Twitter. Um, She is a, a, I think it would be fair to say, political commentator and columnist. Um, And uh, being an ex-soldier with very little political knowledge, and with the Brexit madness that's going on. I asked Chloe to come on and um, educate me, and she very kindly accepted. And uh, she did. She educated me. So enjoy this one. HR hey, with Chloe Wesley.
1: And what's the audience like? Is it just um i mean i suppose you don't know everyone who listens to it but people that are interested in politics or relatively not interested
0: good
1: question we're starting good question
0: That's <laughs> it. We started, right? <laughs> um we're into it so no audience wise um well predominantly ex-military mm-hmm. and serving military i do get a proportionate non-military people listening to it out of interest i think mm-hmm. um and, and that and that side of it's growing i get people from all sorts of the world i got people in japan listening and it's a bit, bit crazy but so not not people g- generally interested no no that's wrong not interested in politics but not educated in politics i think about this on the way over um when you for me when i was serving i, I think you always have, you have to be apolitical mm-hmm. um otherwise it can. i think it can impact your judge your judgment definitely and uh and what your belief in what you're doing yeah so uh and i say in the same way that you in the same way that i said on, on other previous podcasts is that e- when you're g- given a mission or whatever it is now obviously that'll be you got to think okay is it ethically morally, morally right and i've never been given a mission that wasn't but in terms of the overall operation, let's take Afghanistan, let's take Iraq, for example. You can't question why you're there, what should we be here mm-hmm. if you want to try and stay alive in the country at the same time. Because I think if you start thinking, well, why are we in Iraq or why are we in Afghanistan? Then you, your judgment becomes clouded. And on the lower end, even though the missions that you're doing are for um, valid ethical, moral purposes down on the bottom level, know, clear the Taliban out of a village or um or provide security so a school can be rebuilt, for example. Yeah. If you're questioning why you're there in, in in the first place in the whole country, what's the whole point? Wh- who's pulling the strings, blah blah blah, that clouds your judgment and you you're more likely to come on in a box, I think. Mm-hmm. Um however, so the reason I asked you on Chloe, and thank you very much for taking up the offer, is as you know, to to talk about Brexit. Um I'm still trying to remain very much apolitical, but as as time's gone on, I've sort of become more more aware of it and sort of understand it a bit more. I've been talking about the last couple of years. I'm 37. And, you know, I, I was I was serving until I was 30, 31, so 30, or 32. When did I get out, 10, 11, oh 30. So I got out when I was 30, 31, and only now we're sort of beginning to sort of understand politics. Um, but the Brexit thing's a mess. Ah in terms of the presentation of information how mm-hmm. to understand what's going on so can you give me a bit of your background if you don't mind i've just waffled yeah, the first ten minutes. <laughs> sorry i will <laughs> so glance at my i will glance at my phone i'm just keeping eye on the time and that's sure. it it's not because you're boring me okay good
1: to know good to know <laughs> go on for it chloe. your turn uh well my name's chloe and we met through twitter which is how a lot of people meet these days, um, probably because you notice that I tweet a lot about Brexit and politics. Um, I did campaign uh, for Leave for, for Brexit. Um, you might notice in my accent that I'm actually originally from Australia. So I was brought up in Brisbane, um, moved to the UK when I was 18 years old for university, and um, stuck around for better or worse depending on who you ask (laughs) Uh, and yes I I campaign for brexit I believe very strongly in it Um, it, for for me I was always very interested in politics Uh, I didn't know a lot about the EU until I moved to the UK and started to talk to other young people at my university about the EU and they said it was very very positive it was more of a cult. I think it was more of a cultural identity thing for them. What year was this, sorry? This was uh, 2012 that I moved oh. over here. And so even though it wasn't part of the national conversation, it was still part of politics because UKIP were starting to become quite popular. And I was interested in that. I said, what, what are they about? Why are they concerned about the EU? And they would say, oh, you know, because they hate immigrants or, or this or that. But then I actually, um, through my political studies at university, started to read up a little bit more on this. And I read about the institutions, the way in which they write laws um, and the centralisation of powers. And it made me very uncomfortable um, that there was this international bureaucracy that was taking away decision-making powers from national governments. And the justification for this was... It's safer to be together, Um, it's better for peace and prosperity and it's good economically if decision-making power is taken out of the hands of the national governments and given to a central um, European government essentially based in Brussels that can uh, write the rules for everyone in Europe. And that goes against everything that I thought the UK would be. This is... um, you know, the British Parliament is the mother of all parliaments because it's a parliament that was that my parliament in Australia is based on and parliaments in Canada and also democracies in the Western world all looked to Britain as a kind of guiding force. And I was very surprised that this was allowed to happen without too much approval at all from from people in this country. So when the treaties were signed and the powers were given... To Brussels so for example um, powers over trade policy uh, over uh, many rules and regulations including some taxes uh, and also immigration and these powers were handed over without any referendum or vote Um, and, and politicians didn't really talk about it in my opinion enough to explain to people that it wouldn't be their MP that would have a say in these policies anymore it would be an MEP but the MEP wouldn't really be allowed to introduce legislation or have a big say. They would only be allowed to make minor adjustments. And if the other countries outvoted them, then Britain stuck with this, this rule or this regulation. And so I, I thought that was, this was wrong. Um, and I do have British family here. And so I did feel an affinity to, to this country. And I, I knew that it would be um, difficult to take a side either way to put yourself forward and say, I believe in X or Y. So at the time that um, we were leading up to the referendum, I was working then for a British Member of Parliament and made the decision that even though it might not be likely that the Leave side would win, I would just like to have it known um, in history that I stood on that side of the argument. And I was prepared for people to disagree with me, um, but I thought it was important to do something about it. Uh, and the vote was a complete surprise to, to me. Um, that was one of th- that night when the results started coming through. It, it it was almost the first time I'd ever seen, ever felt like real change was really possible, because there was this small team of us working in, in you know in Westminster, but predominantly outside of Westminster in towns <laughs> and locations across the country, leafleting, talking in the pub, and. Uh, versus, from our perspective, the British government, the civil service, um, the EU, the OECD, the IMF, all of these international institutions saying this would be a terrible mistake. And lots of people in this country, the majority of the voting population, saying no, we want to we want to do this. We want to take a step back because we don't like the direction the EU is heading in. Uh, and it was such a positive day. I think in London the atmosphere was very eerie, but outside of London in the areas which had a majority for leave, there was a sense of hope that things could really change. And now we're two over two years later, uh, and I despair a little bit at what politicians have done with that vote. So we have the largest democratic vote in British history for anything at all and then a general election where the two major parties labor and the conservative parties both said we respect this decision we're going to implement this decision and now i don't think we're anywhere closer really to any certainty about whether or not they real- will implement that decision so
0: there's there's a lot
1: there's a lot of uncertainty so when you say you know talk about the brexit mess i think the mess has been politicians being unwilling to just decide yes we're going to do this so you have you know, labor saying we're going to implement the result and now backing a second referendum uh, the Prime Minister saying that no deals better than a bad deal we will be out of the single market and customs union at the election that was central to her campaign and now today essentially saying that there's no chance we'll even a no deal and also putting forward an agreement which doesn't really take Britain out of the EU's single market or customs union, so there are a lot of lot of people that voted Lee that I campaigned with, just you know, normal people that aren't involved in politics, don't work in politics, that are almost in complete despair. That they, they, they you know, I think the the feeling is is anger and also hopelessness. Like, what do we do? Will decisions if if we have a referendum in the future on something else, and politicians don't like the result will they implement it and it's bringing up all of these very difficult questions about the political system about whether or not it is fit for purpose um and i try to explain to my my friends who are predominantly pro-remain because I'm, I'm quite still quite young i in my 20s pro-remain pro-remain and um i say well if you if there is a vote in the future on something that you really really care about and you think is really important and the majority of people in this country, of voters in this country, vote for that decision. And the MPs turn around and say, we're not going to do that. There will be a precedent for that. And and is that something that you want to live with because you don't like Brexit? Um, so I think it's not a great situation at the moment. Um, and I, I do what I can through through writing and, and coming on podcasts to try and explain to people why people why voters voted leave um why why i think it's a good idea but also to just try and hold politicians to account of what they promised to do because they promised to deliver this and if they don't then i'm really worried about trust in politics in this country
0: Mm. um well you're doing a good job of explaining it (laughs) Thank I you. hope so. Feel free to ask any any
1: questions because i I work in Westminster where <laughs> we all have these terms that we just assume everyone knows. No, no, that's why I got my notebook out. I think
0: yeah. I should have I should have briefed you before we put the microphone, microphones on. You, you, you're talking to an ex-soldier now. This is different. You're going to knock it down a level. <laughs> no, <laughs> no big words. No, I'm joking. Um, so from, from from my back, my my Brexit background. God Almighty. Uh, is uh, so i didn't vote either way and the reason being is i'm i i didn't feel i don't i generally don't vote at, at all um and <clears throat> that's because of a two things uh, a lack of trust in what politicians say they'll deliver on both sides whether you know well on all sides not both not just two sides there's more than conservative in labor you know lib Dems and all the rest yeah. of it a lack of trust in that but I also understand that's the game that's played that's just politics and but also I, um I didn't I don't vote generally because I have a lack of trust in the information that's given to me by the media who should i watch or listen to um and i base that that question on who do i believe is 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 giving me the facts without without twisting information and i don't think there's anyone that does that at this moment in time no no major news outlet anyway um, and so because of that that distrust in information I've been mean, given by, by politics or by media, that I feel not informed enough to be able to, especially with a referendum came by, to be able to say to myself, because that's a flipping big vote, you know. It's yeah, a big decision. question. Is yeah. to say, okay, do I believe in Remain or, or, or do I believe in Leave? Now, at the time, I was erring on the side of Leave. I think if I if it was law that we had everyone had to vote and I was made to vote, I would have voted leave, I think. And the reason being is that there was a lot of the country there was a lot as is now, a lot of un- unrest, I think, just sort of a sub a subliminal level of unrest in people, general un- un- unhappiness, or just the state of life, UK, just just generally unhappy, you know, and, and feeling like something could be done to fix it. And I literally am back to that old saying, well, a change is as good as the rest. If we're unhappy where we're at now, let's switch it up. Let's shake it up and see what happens. Um, I I also like that idea of leave because I thought, it, in the same way, I liked, in a way, the idea of Trump getting to power in the USA. Okay, there's a lot of negatives to it, right? And there's a lot of negatives to to leave, as it, as it would be remain, Okay but the message that sends like the, the the message it sends to our government that people went stop and vote and vote leave yes it's just over 50% right but still I, half the country voted right just over half I voted again I voted to leave the message that sends to the government and the message it sends to other governments and other countries and people is that, like, as you were saying you can you can if you got the minerals you can change things if you want you know and, and, and uh, Slightly, sorry, slightly different to Trump. That same message, him getting the power, with an indication of not what he is, but the reasons he was voted for. Because people aren't happy with the norm; they're not happy with it. That was a that was a political thing. They're not happy with it. Slightly different situation, but sort of the same. Um, and so where I'm at now is, oh man, it was always going to be a nightmare, um, difficult with such a close margin on the Leave Remain vote. Was it fifty one point something to forty eight point something? Was it percent? Something it's, like that. Yeah,
1: fifty-two percent, but a majority of um over a million. yeah I so, know I understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um so where I'm at now is we voted, we're done. Let's 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 just let's just get out, right? The problem I've got, the most frightening thing for me now. Uh, and again i am not a you know if, if some information came up and uh, steered me towards remain i'm quite happy to change my mind i'm quite i will change my mind based on the information i'm given i'm not now hard and fast leave 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 i, I try to look at the information I'm present, presented present with which a lot of people don't do unfortunately a lot of people are very close minded with it um based on what newspaper they read what whether they watch the b b c whether they watch sky you know it's it, that's how their their minds their minds turn towards things um where was it going with that then where was it going with that? I
1: think you're talking about your views on what should happen. Oh, now.
0: right. So the most frightening thing to me is if a second referendum referendum got called, uh, as you mentioned there, um, for the reasons you mentioned there, I think it would be catastrophic for the faith of British people on Remain and Leave side, both sides. If there's a second referendum called, because even the Remainers, in their heart of hearts, would think, okay, if we haven't They just changed their minds on that. We voted Mm -hmm. for something. They've changed. Yeah, goes now a favor of the next time. And I think, when I use the word catastrophic, I do think that it would result in riots and violence that we haven't seen before. Honestly, honestly, I I really think that. And and there's some unfortunate reasons with that. I mean, you know, people who voted Leave, there's a a significant proportion are very, very right-wing. And with that comes a lot of, you know, they're very... Active, the uh, uh, yeah, activist approach. Uh, that's the wrong words more left. but I, I think they're just more prone to kicking up a right drama in the streets if, if 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 um if a second referendum is called. I don't think it'll happen though. I don't think a second referendum will happen. I think the politicians. and am correct if I'm wrong. I'm absolutely no expert, which is why you're sat there. I think that at the uh, uh, the top end in government, they know that it would just it would be a disaster for them. Disaster for them, because how could they ever be trusted again in whatever?
1: I think they do know that, and the the timing of Corbyn's announcement that he would support a second referendum, he announced that you know Labour would support this a bit too late on. Was it last? So week? yes. Yeah. So really, there isn't a lot of time. So I I think from his perspective, he wanted to show the Remain side of his party, which is the majority of MPs and activists in the Labour Party, that he was on their side. But it really is too late. If he really believed in a second referendum, he would have called for this much sooner. So for that, I, there are also many Labour MPs who represent very large Leave constituencies who, even if it was Labour policy to vote for a second referendum, would be terrified of doing so because they know that their constituents will not accept them doing that. So I think the chances are very unlikely. But as you say, if it, if it happened, it would be very ugly. And I don't think it would be about the EU. I think if there was a second referendum, it wouldn't be about the merits of staying or leaving. It would be all about politicians in Westminster. And there were a lot of people who were distrustful, disenfranchised, had never voted for anything before in their life, already thought very low of politicians in general. And this has done nothing to improve improve the relations with those people in fact you have MPs standing up in Parliament and making speeches about why people can't be trusted to make these kind of decisions why the general population don't have the information they need to make these kinds of decisions and I think that's quite insulting actually Um, and I think in this country within the political class there's an assumption that if you haven't been to university if you don't have a PhD then you're somehow not as intelligible as those who have. But I think there are lots of different kinds of intelligence. I think that, um, (laughs) I mean, if you're a young person now, it's far more intelligent to actually do an apprenticeship because then you can earn while you learn as opposed to having all that debt. But I think people that run businesses, that raise families on a a low income, that have to make very difficult decisions every day, that's a different kind of intelligence. Uh, Knowing how to fix things, knowing how to build things. These are all other kinds of intelligence, and you know I'd like to see a, a journalist with a PhD um, try to run a business one day. You know, everyone has different skills and abilities, and what it comes down to is making judgments about risks and rewards, and I don't think that people, on average, in this country, are incapable of doing that. Um, I actually think I think quite highly of people in general. That's why I'm a bit more of a capitalist and a socialist. I think people, it's better if they keep their own money because they make good decisions. They don't need a state to make decisions for them. So, the yeah, the social cohesion element of a second referendum would be really bad. Um, and especially after two and a half years of all of these speeches from politicians saying, and also journalists and campaigners and celebrities talking about Leave voters in very awful ways, saying all sorts of things um, I don't. Th- I think that's been quite damaging to social cohesion this was an opportunity to repair and rebuild and I think that alongside leaving the EU it was also a call for national renewal for, for change as you said and we haven't seen any of that change and I think that Theresa May um, whilst I have a lot of respect for her resilience and I think she's a good person who believes in what she's doing I don't think she really believes in the change element. I think she'd like to have an arrangement with the EU, which is something close to the status quo, because from her perspective, she wants to avoid any disruption. But, of course, staying very close to this institution, the EU, is also dangerous in itself, because whilst there's a lot of uncertainty associated with leaving, there's a lot of uncertainty associated with staying and one thing that your listeners might be interested in looking into for themselves, and I would encourage them to look into it for themselves and not just take my word for it, is um, the new defense relationships. Um, so uh, Macron and- The new and defense America. relationships. So the the European um, Defense Union, um, you know, PESCO, um, Common Defense Policy, th- there are moves to centralize a lot of things in regards to defense, including uh, procurement, the argument being that it's better if resources are pulled together. Um, and I, I don't accept that argument. I think there's an argument for, you know, nation states to have their own defense forces. Um, but also there's already NATO. And what it appears to me is a situation, although I'd be interested to hear your thoughts or perhaps some other military experts on this, is that a, a European army, so to speak, would be essentially a duplication of NATO, but at the exclusion of America. And I do think that the the transatlantic partnership is actually very important, um, and having a united front is very, very important. And I'm very concerned about that. And uh, I, I think we need more information about how much the British government has signed Us up for in the future in terms of contributing to this defence force. For example, you know, will uh, British taxpayers be contributing to a budget for a European army, or um, will certain decisions be made at the European level as opposed to the national level? These are very to remain. You mean exactly, or even if we have a half-in, half-out approach, which Theresa May's deal, I think, is a half-in, half-out approach. So in the withdrawal agreement that's currently being debated upon, there are some um, references to defence cooperation. They're quite vague, and it's not clear exactly what the British government has signed up for at this stage. Um, Now, of course, the withdrawal agreement is different to the final arrangement. So the withdrawal agreement is an agreement to to leave have a transition period and keep negotiating and then there'll be a final agreement at the end of those negotiations it's important to state that it's not the final position Um, but I think there's cause for concern
0: yeah that withdrawal agreement as well the the the, the length of time that would influence us all depends on how long we're allowed to withdraw it could be 10 years couldn't it could be that long couldn't it or is that or is it a finite thing it, length it wasn't
1: specified transition. as a finite transition, no. Um, look, I, I think that if the negotiations took perhaps up to five years, I, it wouldn't. it's not desirable to continue paying all that money and remaining in these institutions, but if it did take that long to avoid as much disruption as possible and have a really solid trade agreement, which meant that we've got that trading relationship sorted, but withdrawing from all the political institutions, I think most people would be happy with that. Um, But it it could be a lot longer than that. And as well, there's no guarantee that at the end of the negotiations, we would actually leave. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Theresa May has handed the EU a lot of cards. So this withdrawal agreement would allow, at this point, just still trying to renegotiate this with Brussels, but it would allow... EU if they were unsatisfied with uh, an arrangement with Northern Ireland it would allow the EU to uh, essentially keep the UK in the customs union and also have a lot of say over rules and regulations in this country Uh, and that is really I don't think that's a desirable starting point for negotiation saying to the other side that if they're not happy they can keep us in some institutions and so the UK would not be able to leave without the EU's permission. Essentially, doesn't sound like a very smart strategy. Um, and of course, the UK's big cards is money. Britain has a lot of money to offer, um, or she's already given that away at the start. And yeah, I'm just I, what, I, I don't what, know. What do you mean? Yeah. What? Well, so the the withdrawal agreement means that um, there'll be a thirty nine billion pound bill which isn't really in return for anything other than permission to keep negotiating. So I would say that it would make sense to say that we'll pay this bill on the condition that we get an agreement. But the withdrawal agreement says that the UK gov- UK taxpayers will give £40 billion pounds, um, so that we can keep on negotiating and maybe we'll get an agreement one day.
0: Hmm. Yeah, someone didn't go to negotiation school, did she? <laughs> <laughs> well, her and her advisors. I don't know. Um it's going back. Going back like a completely down. I skipped over it. Um yeah, you know, the EU the EU army. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. I am no I'm no military expert, not not, uh, a, not and a strategic. I, yeah, level and I anyway. wouldn't
1: pretend to be this. that's why I think that your listeners should look into this um mm. for themselves. There's a website called Veterans for Britain. Um, with some research papers, but also links to the um, original sources. So you can look and see the uh, the, the original sources of the notes of meetings, um, what the EU have put forward essentially as a proposal so you can see the facts. There is There are some um, people that think this is a good idea and maybe there is an argument from, from their perspective for a European army, but I don't think it's fair to take Britain into one Without telling people about it first or having those arguments out in the open in, in an election?
0: Yeah, I mean, the EU army thing, I think, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not that a short term, but it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of one of those scaremongering terms that's come out. It would obviously wouldn't be a, you know an army sat somewhere waiting to go and call the EU army. It would be, it'd be, like you were saying earlier, like a pool of resources. So, I don't know, I would kind of imagine it being, for example, uh, every country would have a percentage of their armed forces on a standby of some level um ready to go and do the EU's bidding. Um I uh, I've got a problem with that in that I'm not saying that's what it would be, but <clears throat> the EU would call a lot of the shots in what the potential operations and missions could be. But um my my one p- problem with that that pops into my head is uh the unelected would be called, would be the unelected EU parliament you know would be they're unelected aren't they
1: so the parliament is elected but they have very little influence
0: so who are the unelected that, that so it would be
1: about? the the leaders and uh, so you know john claude juncker um all these figures yeah. negotiating that right. yeah there's lots and lots of bureaucrats making decisions right yeah. now on behalf of British and people. And if
0: we've got nato why do we need another eu force as you as you quite rightly pointed out um uh, uh, there are positives to it because that's the way we've got NATO, mm. right? There are positives to it. Um, they also they also big negatives. It's just it's just a, it's, a, it's just another uh, just another bit of power and leverage, which is that the EU would get to to leverage other other nations, other countries into and external to, to just go with what what they want really. Um, which is I can't I can't really see why else they would they would they need it from a defence perspective. When you got NATO, I don't, I don't really understand it. um The going back, back, back again. So things pop into my head, and then I, I went, oh, I remember them. <laughs> it, you reminded me of something when you were talking about uh, the shock you had when the vote happened. Um, or oh, the the result was announced. Not when the vote, happened, but the result was announced, and you shock at it being holy moly, the the Lee, you know, the Lee was one. Um, I experienced different to this. So I was, it was to me, it was, that was, it, that's what was happening. Um, and there was someone else, I've got a a, fr- a a couple of friends here, I've got a, quite a few friends in London, but there's a couple of friends, they're, 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 they're um, fiancé and fiancé, they get married this year. And one of them is ex-military with me, with me, served with me, um, and his background is, not dissimilar to my own you know uh grew up in sort of working class now and his his partner she, i hope she doesn't listen she doesn't <laughs> i'd say is upper middle upper middle class um um so him and i we're like yes yeah, so good not, i'm not surprised that R- Levers won the vote because that's what we were all we were immersed in in our social circles and professional circles was people mostly saying how they wanted out, mm-hmm. and then she was she was disgusted. She couldn't believe it. She thought that things had been rigged. And oh my god, I can't believe it. no way! Everyone wanted to vote Remain, and we, we yeah you know, we, we had a had a joke where we said you know no, you didn't. <laughs> I, and where she lives is where she's from is quite an affluent area. It's not in London. It's just outside of London. And we were saying to her, and one of the things we said was, I'll buy your immigration problem down in, uh, you know, is it a lot of people Do you get a lot of immigrants down where you live? No, I'm not saying immig- <clears throat> immigration is the, the reason for leave, but we're going back to that um, presentation of information and, and how the whole thing came about in the first place with people who are unhappy. Now, well, I had a bit of a light bulb moment just now, which you probably had about two years ago. <laughs> and it's that. The, I, I I would love to see the demographic breakdown of people who voted, and I'm going to suggest that the majority of people who voted remain. And I I am this is a broad brush, mm-hmm. and I'm going to suggest I'm guessing the majority of people who voted remain. There was a higher percentage of those remain voters were were so, in general, remain voters were better off. When I say better off, better jobs, better money, living in better areas, than the leave voters. And I'm going to suggest that. And the reason I'm saying it is based on this one, <laughs> this one little thing in my head. When you're in a good place, when your business is thriving, when you're happy in life, when you got money, when you're doing what you want to do, the last thing you want to do is shake it up. You don't want anything to change because you're happy. You, you don't want anything to make the change. So you, I would argue you're going to vote remain. And then you have got on the leave side. You vote, you vote for change because you ain't happy with where you're at for whatever reason that is. And you can attribute that to, you can, you know, your life can be amazing. say, so well, it's immigrants taking the jobs or, or whatever's being said, whatever, whatever narrative is being thrown out in the media, right? And that's what you're going to go with. Now you're going to vote leave because you want to change it up. Now, going back to the question of a second referendum and the catastrophe that would cause, that's a, what I'm talking about there is, is that's a, a, the difference between two significant sets of classes People who are well off and people who aren't, you know, and and uh, going forward, if that second referendum came again, that's that division of classes itself. That that would be the that would be the battle, you know. I, when I use that that word, and no one's as to what it means, but what it could be, it could be a, a, a class war, like we you know not 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 seen before. I don't know. I, I, I,
1: what? i I'd agree with your assessment um it's it you can't tell for sure exactly how people voted after a referendum, but a lot of the polling showed exactly what you suspected, which was they
0: don't collect demographics no they can't they, Can they, they do they know. do
1: surveys afterwards, but of course you can't account for people you know being forthcoming with information yeah but all of the all of the research indicates that that you're right that there was a class divide um and there was a lot of snobbery after the vote in my opinion. Um, there was one struck out to me. It was, I think it was a Huffington Post or a BuzzFeed article where they went through the different favourite brands of Leave versus Remain voters. And they said Remain voters on average prefer Apple products and all these fancy things. How do they know that? And it was, I think it was just a poking fun kind of article. Oh, right. (laughs) But I think they did a survey and they said, and Leave voters like things like baked beans and really, really trying to mock this and say, you know, Lee voters, oh, they're so stupid and, and they're poor and they buy baked beans. And I was disgusted. And and I felt like saying, of course, of course, Lee voters on average, you know, of course people that were worse off voted Lee because the EU wasn't working for them. Like, why can't you get that through your head? Uh, and by writing these articles and, and mocking people that actually don't really have a voice. So, yeah, these celebrities with you know, massive Twitter accounts and 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 TV shows and radio shows and everything, and they go around mocking, you know, fifty two percent of the voting population. How are those people supposed to respond? You know, you're using your platform to kind of bully and belittle people who don't have any way of talking back to you.
0: It undermines the value of the the, the opinion the opinions of those people, and I'm one of those people. You know. Um, Those people, as in (laughs) flipping working class, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, um. Their opinion is valid, you know. Here's the problem with with being successful and being in and walking in certain circles like that, right? Is that you tend sometimes you can tend to think you know it all, and especially at the top, especially. The uh, financial experts, experts in inverted commas, and the political experts, and uh, whatever else. You know, the the Jacob Rees-Mogg's and the like. I've got nothing against him. But you can tend to think you know it all. And the one thing I've come to the conclusion is that from a numbers game, talking about Brexit, the money we're going to save, the money we're going to, um, you know, lose, commerce, trade, bills to the EU. It's impossible to work it out. There's too many variables. There's too many variables, right, to try and, try and, to try and work out how much we're going to save a day or a month or a year or this, that or the other. Or how how much trade is going to be impacted. I think it's impossible to work it out. But it's also very, very easy to pick and choose your numbers that you like and 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 misre and and throw them out as a misrepresentation of what you think is going to happen you you skew the numbers to match what your what your opinion is remain or leave right um and even then we don't let's say we could we could work out um we could work out how much better or worse it's going to be for us when we when we when we exit when we exit, uh, it's impossible then to compare that to what it would be if we had stayed in. You just don't know. You don't know, and I, so for that, and then that well, that's one of the main reasons I think. Look, we've 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 pulled the plug now. We have pulled the pin. This is this is get out. I'd pref- I would prefer no deal. I'd I, I'd prefer deal. Sorry, not no deal. I just would because you don't want to burn too many bridges, right? But as you were saying, it's very. It can be very, da- could be very dangerous, and sort of almost go against what the referendum is all about. To have too many agreements with them, and, and still be beholden to the EU in some way, shape, or form. Um. Yeah, I. I, I so you cast the numbers aside because you can't. It's impossible. It's too complicated. No one can work out. You Cast that aside. What are you left with in terms of well, should we remain or should we leave? Because I still, you know, question it. Some, I still question it because I'm still not 100%, you know. I'm 100% behind that we voted and we should leave, but whether it's going to be wholly good or bad, we're well not wholly good or bad, better good than bad. But going back to your point right at the start, the the numbers aside because we don't know what we're left with, What what's left to base your decision on. Well, it should be... I think the first thing that people should vote on, and I said this to my dad right at the start when he had a go at me for not voting, <laughs> um... Uh, I think what people should vote on with anything, with anything because of that misrepresentation of information in the media difficult to understand politics and all the numbers and this goes to future votes I really think that people should be look at the part let's say it's a, um, a vote for the next PM right um, a general election and I think should people should look at it and go okay what what does that person stand for what are their parties here they're going to do now how does that impact me my life, like, really impact it. Me, where I live, not how is how do the media say it's going to impact me? Like the immigration, like the immigration thing. You know, we talk, I talked to my dad about that, and he lives in a, in a place called Crynant, South Wales, in a village. You don't get many immigrants in a in a, in a Welsh valleys village. You don't. You know, I mean, the, the I remember when the I remember when the first uh, we had a Muslim move into the village, and his wife. I think he's Muslim anyway he's non christian and he's got darker colored skin and he's non african right so th- I think he's muslim jazz is name is. um run local shop and it was you know it's like oh, proper welsh bigotry who, who's this guy who ran it over time it was mm. got it was fine you know he's and he's a, a nice guy but it doesn't really affect him in in where he lives my dad you know and 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 those people in that village immigration doesn't so but they I think they probably all voted leave to be honest, I may be wrong, but my point is voting on what you how you see it affecting you, really think about it, and then you can and then you can you can make a a good sound judgment based on what you know it how it know it affects you and, and not not what you're being told you know think mm-hmm. about it um how did i get on to that right waffle
1: <laughs> i I think you're so right about you can never in any decision in your life. On anything, know for certain the outcome of this decision versus that decision. They're, we can't, you know, the the treasury makes forecasts, but they don't know with any certainty what the economics will be either way. So All I All I think are different as well. Yeah, the
0: forecast is different depending on who you talk to it. This is you know, it's like.
1: So f- I think it comes down to a principle. I th- I think that the vote ha- it had to come down to the the principle whether or not you believe in it and. I think it's about taxation and representation. Very, very simple principle. The the whole campaign was about control and who is in control of your destiny and the destiny of your country. And I believe very strongly that if you're going to give half of your income to the state, or perhaps a third if you're on a a much lower income, if you're going to give all that money to people to spend on your behalf, You should have a say over how that is spent and what they do with that money. And that is what, to me, democracy comes down to. No representation, no taxation without without representation. And I think the EU is moving further and further towards taxation without representation. Spending your money and making decisions, good or bad, whether or not you agree with them or not, but you having no way to influence those decisions. I I think that is wrong. And what's really interesting is, is after the vote, um, I worked with a group called Change Britain, which was with, uh, led by Gisela Stewart, the Labour MP, who's a German Labour MP campaigned for, for Brexit. And we were speaking to people across the country about the vote. And um, I won't mention her name or where she was from, but I, I remember very strongly um, someone, a lady who clearly didn't have, and she said she didn't have a lot of money at all. Um, and she said, you know she she really believed I could lose my job this is what they were telling me the Treasury were telling me. everyone was telling me I I could lose my job and things could get much worse for me but I was thinking in my mind I want my kids to live in a democratic country and that summed it up for me when she said that that I think summed up a lot of the feeling from from people It it was about a principle because you're right we can't know with any certainty which way the EU is going could get a lot better for all we know they could get much more democratic um and we don't know with any certainty exactly what the future relationship will be like in the future and what's going to happen in the global economy and whether it's worth stepping out and and doing trade deals with it with america and asia but i think that principle is very important and i think it's important to a lot of people and um i'm worried that if if there is that second referendum or we remain, that that principle will be betrayed. That people will be taxed without having any say over how that money is spent. Yeah. And, and this is how a lot of kind of revolts have happened in human history. You know, think about all these revolutions of people saying, hang on, uh, you know, it used to be kind of the monarchy. Um, why are you taking away all my money? Um, what are you doing with it? You know, that's that's my income because we talk about tax as if it's uh, money, as if it's this imaginary thing. But if you think about it, that's your time and your labor, your energy. You know, forty forty percent of everything that you put out into the world. If you if you're taxed at forty percent of your on your paycheck, that's like you know four days out of ten of your work. You're just working for these other people. You should have a say over what happens as a result of that.
0: Mm. Uh, Going. Go I remember I it was. It's like yeah, you're absolutely right. Um You should have a say on it, and and there's the the buck of power, the buck of power. As <laughs> <that's my laughs> I'm the buck of power should stop as close to home hmm. as possible. I'm um, by that I mean the Prime Minister of the UK. Um, because I'm uh, if I've interpreted what you're how you're saying that the EU works right. Remember um, Excel, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly processing <laughs> information. Um, is that PM UK is beholden to the EU for certain things. You got the EU Parliament and they're voted in, and above them you got the the EU leaders who who, have, who hold most of the power. And the and all all of the MEPs can do, and therefore the nation states can do, is have a little influence on changing some minor things in different documentation and and rules and, and regulations, right? Well, then the buck of the buck of power is right at the top. It's so far from the UK, so far from the British people, that there's a huge disconnect. And so you end up with things like like uh, rules and regulations or or directives that come in that are great for most other countries, but not good for the UK, or vice versa, or vice versa, right? Um, and so in in that same no when i was talking just now ranting about the welsh village um in that you know you you should you should base a vote on i said i think i said two things and one is how does it really affect you and two um and two so when it comes to the, the remain leave vote base it on democracy as you said now and, and that being you want a democracy should be as democratic as possible surely you know and, and talking about the EU again there and the leaders it just seems to get less democratic you the tree and there's more there's more scope for corruption and bribery and all those things that happen anyway from a local business you know on the high street to all up the top and the, the more that you can remove the better the more honest it be the less dishonest it, become. <laughs> the less dishonest it becomes you know um, no oh yeah. I uh, hasn't Boris Johnson just changed his his figures on how much the was it, was it how much money they're gonna save per week and be able to put to the NHS? It was a three hundred and fifty three hundred and fifty billion that you said at the start. So oh and yeah, so now it's four hundred and thirty eight or something.
1: Well, from. so the, the <laughs> contribution fees have gone up. So that the amount of money that the British government is sending to the European Union every year has gone up since the vote and so the amount of money sent to the eu every week has risen so i believe how I do they work it out then four, Over 400 million how do they um, work out how much we should pay a proportion of um, uh, gdp i believe so okay um so i think at the time of the referendum i believe the gross figure was about 12 13 billion um although I'll have to go back and check that it's been a little while since I've I've made these arguments um but I think the budget the budget now has definitely increased because um it's been increasing for other countries as well and when the, when the UK leaves there'll be a huge hole in the EU's budgets um and I'd be very happy to send the EU some ideas about how they can save money for example, fewer limousines <laughs> and champagne receptions. Um,
0: well, but, we do that but, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the British politicians have a harder time getting away with it because they've always got the press yeah. and, and the voters. Um, but I, I don't think there's as much scrutiny of that kind of thing when it's at an international yeah. level. Um but yeah, there's a lot, it's, a, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. There's this big um, disagreement in the campaign about the three hundred fifty million number. So three hundred fifty million is well, it's actually about three hundred sixty-two million a week, but we rounded it down. Is the gross contribution? So the total no, uh, amount of money set aside for EU for the EU. But- there is a rebate, and there is uh, money spent on project EU projects in the UK. And so the Remain side argued, well we are we're not sending this money away for nothing we get some of it back but the important thing it was about control it's like yes yes they send it back and yes they send us a rebate but the british government isn't in control of that um and so that is the important i think that was the important um message of that of that number and what's really interesting is people as you said you didn't didn't really remember whether it was million or billion people when poll don't remember whether it was 100 or 350 million all they remember is that it was a lot of money um and that's the important point it's a lot of money being sent and that's, that's that's our money
0: um is that the general is that sorry so that is that the is that like a that's what that's the general overall bill we pay the membership fee we pay to the EU. yes right and there's there's apart from like tariffs on trade and i don't know what else that the b- little bits and add-ons, fees here and there that you chuck in. You know, like uh, you know, you go, you go all the way through. You go, you buying something online, you go way through, you go twenty quid, and then and then you get the next thing. Oh, and there's a VAT on top. Oh, and then there's a postage. Oh, and then you got to send it through a courier. Know, all the money add, adds on and adds on. So apart, apart, <laughs> what we're we talking about. So apart <laughs> from that, three hundred and fifty million. That there's nothing else bill you know direct money wise that's what you pay
1: that, that's that's a total a gross number Three fifty, yeah it was it's above 350 million now a week
0: so oh, okay so so the argument then the remain argument then, like it must be based around it can't be based around that then that's you can't really argue that number but it must well, be they, based around that yeah, so they, and how much we're gonna lose
1: so they argued they argued that because
0: trade th- th-
1: it, that some of that money was then from the EU given back to the UK? They argued that How much of it um, about half okay so about half and and but um, there's still over hundred million a week that the UK sends and doesn't see ever again. And that was the really important message that we we're trying to put across like, this is a lot of money every week and it should the people who decide how that money is spent should be elected by you and accountable to you and it's that, five that billion was a year
0: right 5.2 billion a year am i working that out? Right? It's,
1: it's more than that i think yeah about i think it's closer to 13 billion um, in gross contribution but in in, in net contributions okay. that'd be a, a smaller number so so there's a big this big the biggest thing about from the remain campaign saying look you should say the net contribution but i think even the net contribution feeds a lot of money mm. so the net contribution is the money that is sent and never seen again still a lot of money
0: when I think about um, the financial side of things, <clears throat> you got that which is pretty much it's about, it's about as black and white as you're going to get with with um, with the EU UK money. But then, what is not black and white as you mentioned. Like, yeah, that's um, how 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 much are we going to lose or gain through trade? How much are we going to lose or gain through? You know even just things like our, our reputation as a country now i'm not being a member of the EU, maybe being perceived as sort of a bit and a little less stable than we were beforehand and then people are less likely to do deals with us from C from private companies to you know um to other countries wanting to engage with us you don't know if it's going to be positive or, ne- or negative um i had a point there two seconds where's it think back where's it going with that trade oh man hang on it was a it was it was a remain thing i think i was going to go on to yeah the from on that, on that trade perspective i do perhaps think that we're going to be we are going to be worse off maybe on on the trade side of things so commerce how how is business going to be affected? How you know um our export and imports, that's where it's going. So how how much how valuable are we as a country in our exports? So if we pull out the EU, right? When we pull out the EU, how of the, the things we export now to whatever countries one. Um, well, how much of that can be gotten from uh, from other EU states? How much of that business are we going to retain? Is our export value? Is our exports going to be remain the same value? I, I don't know. That's it. So that's my only. That's mm-hmm. my only question. I, I don't I don't feel like the UK as a has that many uh, Has products that we can flog that they can't people can't get elsewhere.
1: Well, so the UK is one of the EU's biggest customers in terms of buying. From the EU, so from EU businesses' perspective, it's good to have a good relationship. In terms of exports, I mean, there are a few things that the UK really excels at. Um, one of them is education. Um, another is services industry, uh, pharmaceuticals, and technology, which of course is where the world is heading. Um, i think the prosperity of british business and therefore how much they're exporting to the world and how much money they're making it depends on the policies that are put in place after or even before brexit i think what is important is having um business friendly policies making it easy to do business in this country but also having simple taxes and i say simple as opposed to lower because one of the one of the biggest impediments to to business growth from the businesses that I speak to is the complicated tax system. How complex it is, how difficult it is to interact with HMRC and also the fact that there are new changes every year and it's very difficult to keep up with it. So they spend a lot of time of their business just trying to keep up with all these regulations and compliance. If the UK adopted a simpler tax system, and ideally lowered some taxes. This would make Britain one of the best places to do business in Europe, if not the best place to do business in Europe. And actually a lot of EU leaders have said that they are worried and afraid that the British government might do this because then it might make more sense to base your business in Britain than in a European country, like for example, France, where you're going to get hammered with very high taxes, lots of EU regulation. So there is actually a fear on the continent that Britain will actually thrive outside of the EU if it adopts those policies.
0: The simpler um, policies.
1: Yes, yeah, simp- simpler and lower taxes. How, um, how would they recover it, that
0: money elsewhere, though? How would, so yeah.
1: so there's so it could basically comes down to economic arguments. So whether you, so there is one school of thought, and this is this is what I believe that if you lower taxes, then businesses keep more of their money and then they invest that back into their business improving their products employing new staff um investing in growth and and that is how the economy grows and a growing economy is good for government finances because the more businesses there are more people working the more taxes you're taking in um and i just really do believe that as well, not just in terms of, we don't just want to make money, the reason why I'm very pro-business is because I think businesses solve problems I think entrepreneurs see a problem with the way something is done and they think of a solution and it makes our lives better I think of all the advances in technology over the last, even just 10 years um, our lives are getting better and improving and I think a lot of that is down to really intelligent people finding solutions to problems and they can't do that if there is an environment which makes it very, very difficult to start and run a business. Um, and so I, I, I really do think that businesses get a bit of a bad rap these days. Um, there's lots of kind of anti, anti-business sentiment. And I think that's probably because you have a lot of corporatism, um, which is when businesses get to a certain size, um, they, do, they are able actually to avoid a lot, quite a lot of tax because if you're a huge corporation you can afford a team of lawyers and accountants to find the loopholes in the tax system and i think th- people see that and think that business is bad but i think that i think corporatisms the big corporates give business in general a bad name
0: yeah i i agree with you i've got i've <clears throat> i've got no issue with those that that loophole finding if it's legal because well, I've got no issue with it. It's legal, and as a business, you do what you, as a as a, a legitimate, you know, honest, integral business, you do what you can to do to legally make your business thrive. I've got no issue with it, regardless of the size of the corporation, whether it's Google or Facebook or whatever. Go and register in Ireland. Go on means cheaper. It means cheaper. It means cheaper, um, it means cheaper less taxes fear. Whatever, whatever it may be, you know, less taxes fear, and then like as you were saying, guess what? The business is going to thrive even more. And you can employ more people. You can pay more people. You can, if you're a technology company, you can push forward the the R and D you're doing. It, it it's of a benefit. Um, going back to that simplifying tax and and lowering tax, yeah, um, you know, one of the things it would do the businesses would thrive. You'd also attract more business to the country. Absolutely. Um, the problem with, as you know, the, the problem with uh, adopting that kind of approach it's a it's an it's very difficult to measure the outcome in the short term or to predict what the outcome will be you know look we're going to lower tax and we get more business in business are going to thrive people are going to be more productive they're going to pay more and more entrepreneurialism but you to put that into figures it's a, as a as a like a, a genuine forecast is really difficult and so to persuade people's really difficult with it um I'm just trying to think about what other countries have adopted that any other countries adopted that model?
1: Um, so you might have heard about the Singapore model. So Singapore have they have a really simple tax system um, and quite low taxes. They also, however, don't have a lot of protection for workers' rights. And so when we talk about the Singapore model, I would like Brit. I think Britain should adopt a lot of the tax system and the, the lower taxes. But I don't think. Britain should compromise on, on workers' rights, things like weekends and, and time off and maternity leave. Um, and I think it's right that you know, the Prime Minister has said that as a result of leaving the EU, we're not really going to scale back on any of that of the workers' rights and, and, and those things. I think that, that's quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a good tax system. I think America has a good system where things are very devolved. So you talk about decisions being made closest to, to home, different uh, different states in in the united states are able to set their own tax rates and so it's great you can actually see the results of different policies in action um one state lowers taxes more businesses move there more more people want to live there the economy is going very well um and you can kind of see how different tax policies work and and democratically choose to live in a state where maybe they have higher taxes and but that you know, more public services and so i think more devolved taxes so more local powers to raise taxes would be a good thing at the moment about i think over 90 percent of tax in this country is raised centrally so it goes all down to whitehall in in westminster and i don't think that centralization on such a mass scale is very productive um i think that it's very difficult to to plan things and to run things from a central you know i think the further centralized things get the more difficult it is to to be agile and and change with 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 things so I i think more devolved powers for local councils um to to raise money more locally and spend it more locally i think that'd be a really good thing i think then you would see as well an improvement in in local public services because at the moment things are very centrally run and i don't think that's the best way of running things i think you need to I think you need to have things more local so that you can respond very quickly to to changes. Mm-hmm. So oh we're, getting, we're getting very into tax policy. This is great. But tell me if I'm boring you. you cause I'm so, it's,
0: like white, it's like white noise to me. I haven't understood a thing for the last 20 minutes. I'm I so j- sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm such a dork. You no, know, what, at the
1: pub, I'll be talking about this. And my friends will be like, Chloe, just, you know, shh. <laughs> <I'm finally laughs> Stop joking. with the <laughs> so it's,
0: it's, it's, perfect. it's perfect. It's an education. <laughs> um, what do you think about, slightly off, mm-hmm. what do you think about minimum wage? Should there be a minimum wage?
1: I think there should be. Um, and I've read a little bit into this, but th- there is a limit to the rate at which you can raise it without putting making businesses go out of business, essentially. So there are a lot of arguments to, to raise the minimum wage. Um, and they ca- I think they come from a good place. It sounds very good. We want people to be paid more. Um, so the state should mandate that they're paid more. Not very good if it gets to the point where, like, a local cafe just can't afford to pay their wages anymore or and then, then they close down. Well. Or, yeah, or, then yeah. it stifles okay. growth. And there's a very, it says Dennis Prager, one of my in, you know, people that I learned from. He has great podcasts. Um, don't agree with him on every, any, everything, but he, he made a really good point on the minimum What's wage. What's his name? Dennis Prager. Dennis? Dennis Prager. He's an American, very charismatic, very funny. What's his surname? Prager. PR. A-G-U-R. Okay. And he said that, um, he talks about the left as if that is this one entity, but he said, you know, <sighs> the left sometimes believe in feeling good, not doing good. If we put up the minimum wage or we campaign for that, it makes us feel good. It'll put, but does it do good? Put businesses out of business? That, that doesn't do good, but it feels good. And and that, I think, really hit the nail on the head where sometimes A policy sounds or feels good, but it doesn't always do good. And we should make decisions based on what we can observe does good.
0: I think... um, I I initially thought there shouldn't be a minimum wage. Um, When I say initially, I'm talking the last last 18 months, when all of a sudden I've become a political expert in the pub. (laughs) I'm joking. Um, I initially thought no, but then I thought, okay, you leads to exploitation and how do you... How would you prevent businesses that are growing who are able to pay a minimum wage, uh, who are able to pay? A, yeah, what would be around about minimum wage to workers? How would you? How would you make sure it's done? And maybe because that's my main issue with it: stopping people getting exploited. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we we're talking about there the the, the 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 pros about the the cons about having a minimum wage. It can it can close businesses down if it's raised too high too quickly. Um, it can stifle growth. As you're saying, you know, um, a, a business who's a, a business that's ready to expand, you, you know, sort of. I don't know. Let's say it's a, let's say it's a, um, a trouser, I don't know, shorts manufacturer, towel manufacturer. You know, a couple of machines in making towels, and someone's dishing them out, and the demand's gone through the roof, and they're sort of at the at, at the at the cusp of well, the the capacity of what they can produce and and send out a door and sell. And to move forward, need to hire get another get another person, hire another person in, but to get another person, in then they're running at a loss, and and it would take too long to to make the return on investment any valuable. So they just stay where they are and then annoying customers because they can't get the towels at the door quick enough, and then bad reviews, and then the business shuts down, like you're saying. Um, but what about if so? If there was no minimum wage, or, or there was a the minimum wage, right? But there was criteria to it. It wasn't hard and fast for business, so you could say, "All right, you can you can pay work, you can pay your employees whatever you want, right?" But and there would be some guidelines on what would then be exploitation. But the main factor that would prov- that would dissuade you from exploiting your workers would be okay when your business reaches a level where your your net profit is, let's say, fifteen percent, or twenty percent. Let's say your net profit hits is twenty percent. You turn Have you your net profit is twenty percent, right? Then at that point, now your minimum wage. Now you you you're you're making enough. You've got the there's a margin in there. Now you must hit that minimum wage bottom end. So it allows the smaller companies to grow first year, two years, where they're really making nothing, they're breaking even. And employee people who are willing to work for peanuts being part of mm-hmm. a I don't mean for peanuts being part of a you know a, a growing business new business and and, and they willing to earn money maybe it's a part-time job and knowing that at the point that that company reaches they've got a name 20% then they've we just got to minimum wage and and that, and their employers beholden to that and if they don't then they get thrown in jail the punishment has to be hard as well to prevent that exploitation I don't know maybe maybe that's a an easy solution to it because I, I agree with you. The the, the pros are, are massive for not having it. It's just
1: people would take the mick. Yeah, and and I am someone who you know, considers my, I consider myself a conservative, um, but I also think I owe a lot to a lot of left wing campaigners throughout history and trade unions who fought for things like the weekend, um, maternity pay. Um, I, I think these things were actually really important. I think we need a left and a right. I think we need people like me who go out there and say yes business we need to grow the economy but we also need those people on the other side of politics who are constantly saying yes but what what about if you're at the bottom and you're just starting out you know let's let's make sure we and I think there is a balance between making sure that it is easy and um, rewarding to start a business in 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 a society but also making sure that you don't have exploitation um people aren't taken advantage of i'd I'd worry about at this point at this stage we have free movement if there were no minimum wage laws and companies could pay whatever they like i think you would see a lot of a lot of people come moving here from countries where the um, wages are much lower where in the uk the wages comparable to their home country would be higher but comparable to the money you need to raise a family in this country much lower I'm concerned that, that that kind of thing might happen. Um, and this is why there's a lot of resentment in, in the United States. Um, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of interviews. I've been trying to understand why there's so much popularity for the, for the wall, the idea of the wall. And um, you know, where is this coming from? And in a lot of the southern states, I've been watching interviews with, with people who are saying that th- they, there aren't jobs there and that there are, you know. Illegal immigrants coming over and taking the jobs, and it sounds very cliche, but in some cases, businesses just exploit people that way, and that because they know that people will be willing to work for that low wage, and I don't think that's right. Um, and yeah, so I I think in politics we need to find the balance between the you know my my libertarian friends who say there should be no laws and no regulations, but also the my socialist friends who say uh, the state must mandate everything and have very strict rules and regulations um and it's interesting politics is pretty much just a fight between the two between people that say the state should have more power and people that say individuals should have more power and in britain we've got a mixed economy you've got a bit of state and a bit of individualism
0: going back to i mean you're so conservative i, I don't i don't like the labels, I, don't yeah, like the labels. I hate it
1: i actually think they're becoming a bit out outdated the, the left and right thing i think that's outdated what i see in politics is um s- state and individual status versus individualists like what do you mean so i think that politics so as far as i've observed is constant arguments about how far the collective power should go the state power versus the power of individuals to make their own decisions and so i think that's i don't know what you would call it but i think the level at which you the the size you think the state should be that's the that's the big gap between i think people in politics
0: i uh sorry when i'm when i meant the labels i I, yeah i i don't i i don't like the fact there's parties i don't hate it i don't like the i i because it's that team thing, and people tend to stay on the same team because that's their team, regardless of whether they this doesn't quite fall in with what they think or not. I, my my opinion is it, sh- it shouldn't be there. Uh, obviously, that's where we are now. It's just the way the country's evolved. Um, but it should just it sh- it's just a spectrum of where you sit on what you know where, what you're thinking on that particular day. And I'm I'm sort of slightly left of center but i'm I'm not labor i'm not conservative um i and you know i might think in the next general election well actually i like what the conservatives have been uh, saying i think i might vote for them Unlikely i'd vote mine chloe but i think i might (laughs) vote for them but then the following yeah I might like, think I'm completely open to change my mind. I think when you have the labels and the parties, it, it closes people down, and, and you end and you're not getting the honest reply from the whole of society when you get your votes. And on an honest, you're not getting an honest vote from everyone, they vote because that's their team. I'm going to vote for because I'm going to vote for Dem, I'm going to vote for UKIP, or whatever. Interesting that, um, I've got enough, you have to come back on again for a little spin off I'm doing, right? Uh, because we've got about five minutes left, yeah. Um, i have my last podcast i did was last week with my dad had my dad on right now he came on for a different reason um but we my first podcast was not hr it was in his my dad's shed in that in crying and uh it was called we did one episode <laughs> and i set it up and we had I, set, I recorded it on two mobile phones. So I had a mobile phone pointed at him mm-hmm. and a mobile phone pointed at me. We had little lapel mics on. And at the end, I spent about two hours, three hours putting the two things together, you know, probably mm-hmm. it down. And so on the video, we, we were talking to each other. And it was called, I can't remember if I said it, the name of the podcast is Colonising Mars, right? And it came about of a discussion. Um, and a thought that I had that I'd heard on another podcast a few times, the Joe Rogan podcast.
1: I love the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's so long so, though.
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and he's mentioned it a few times, and Joe's feeling that the American Senate, American politics, it's comp- it's just based on mentalness. You don't need to do that anymore. Have the, have that have <laughs> politics the way it is, and to have democracy the way it is, right? And I was thinking about that with the UK. I think hundred percent, one hundred percent agree. it Yeah. You know, we do things now. We got, we got, yeah, you know, the government now, because it's based on forms of communication that we did or didn't have hundreds of years ago. You know, we have MPs because the M the MP would go from the local town, listen to what they everyone wanted, go okay, and then go to London and go with a piece of paper, more or less, and go this is what this is what Neath wants because they had no, no other way of communicating. And we're still doing that now. So colonising Mars. <laughs> I've got to carry it back on, I loved it. Was a, a thought experiment and I wanted to sit down with people, different people, and work out okay, if we were gonna establish a new state, you know, somewhere, um, um we had free reign, so we ended up choosing Mars because whatever because I don't know, Mars. So the idea is you fly to Mars um 50 people for example go up there and they are there and they can establish mars the colony as they want how they want to run it based on what we know now what communication modes of communication we've got now and how we know democracy and different things have worked in the past or not worked right um so when you're saying about uh i think i had a problem about vote in democracy and, and 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 people in government representing what the people really want and one of the ideas i had with it which we didn't get on to discussing in a massive way because you we got, we got stumbled at the first hurdle i'll tell you what the question was and i'll ask you what you what you, what you think the answer is in closing actually it was okay how um h- how how will we vote i thought all right so to vote how about this you have an app on your phone everyone has a phone everyone has an app on their phone and um Joe Blogs, who's got a shop on the main road, he wants to have that road widened now, what happens now at the moment? so now you'd have to put in a request you know uh yeah put in, put in a request, get it approved get it'd be, be like public consultation to go on for eighteen months right mm-hmm. because everyone has to be involved right so what happens is not in Hughes world, not on Mars, right your phone goes so I am that shopkeeper, and I put in uh, I want to have my road widened by two foot so I can get lorries in. Mm-hmm. Um to drop oh, trucks to drop off whatever um, and then the pavement can see the same width and all that it, so it puts that request into the voting app or the democracy app right and now through a i and an algorithm, the phone the the system immediately notifies all the stakeholders or interested parties or people who be affected by that decision, whatever it is, notifies them, and their phone like it could be Mrs. Mabel down the road who's, who walks up and down the pavement it could be. A haulage company who transit through it. It could be um you know residents of the roads, so anyone involved in it, right? Impacted in a okay. way. Their phones, stop doing what they're doing, get they got two minutes and they get it. They got two minutes to vote. Two minutes. Should Hugh Keir have his road right road, road, Jonathan was his <laughs> road widened or not? And you go, hmm Two minutes for a reason. Minimum time for bribery, minimum time for corruption, and you're basing your answer on exactly what affects you. Everyone. Missile Mabel goes, I've got no issue with that. Yes. Uh, the local town re- residents go, no way. Because all that noise, no thanks. Yeah. the businesses go, yeah, because then I can, my vehicles are good, so I can send bigger vehicles down on more, whatever. Two minutes, done. That's it. The vote is done. He, Hugh Keir gets his answer on Mars, he's got a, he's got a wider road because mm. they're all the middleman so all <laughs> right waffle right my question to you is one of the questions that colonizing in mars big dis- big discussion topic on it was 50 people right we have got to choose 50 people from the world to go mm. should those 50 people be 50 academic brainiac ninja thinkers politicians you know well
1: are they the brainiacs? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> politicians <laughs>
0: academics Um. uh, Um. What? What? People who study human humans and stuff. You know those ologists. Ologists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or should the fifty people be from a cross section of society, from the unemployed, to the CEO, from um, bricklayers to scaffolders to teachers to university professors, all the way up the cross section. Good question. I know it's difficult, isn't
1: it? You know what, I think that society requires lots of different ways of thinking and lots of disagreement. And I think we're better when we're fighting and disagreeing because then we get closer to the truth. I think if you got 50 brainiacs together, they might all have very similar worldviews, experiences. I would think the variety would be more important.
0: You need conflict. You need conflict. You need conflict. You need conflict in your in, in 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 your team. Whatever in that team is, different whatever the perspectives. Team is. Yeah, that was not the decision we came to.
1: <laughs> really, you can do the brainiacs. <laughs> no,
0: I was going with what you were saying, and my dad disagreed, and I can't remember how. But we ended up right. All right, it's going to be fifty <laughs> brainiacs. That was the end of episode one, um, that's it. That? There we go. Any closing words, advice? Um. What's gonna happen? Are we gonna are we gonna no deal Brexit or deal Brexit? What do you think that feeling?
1: I don't know what's going to happen, but I think what will be important for the future of the country is more than just what the politicians decide, but also what we decide, what we do every day in our businesses with our families and our friends. And I think I think whether or not this country succeeds will be a lot of it will be down to all the individuals and their choices. And one thing we need to do right now is to stop seeing each other as enemies, leave as remainers, and start seeing ourselves as friends. We all, want, we all want this country to succeed, and I think that's the way that we're going to move forward together. It won't just be down to the politicians in Westminster. It's all of us.
0: Perfect advice. Uh, Chloe Wesley dot...
1: Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter. Twitter. At Love Oh,
0: yeah. At Love Wesley. W-E-S-T-L-E-Y. Yes, that's correct. At Love Wesley. Perfect. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been fun.
0: That's it for the show thank you for listening please support the show if you can on patreon.com patreon.com forward slash hr that's uh that's one of the sources we use to help the podcast moving forward it is not cheap to do the production so i really appreciate if you can you can support us there and a proportion of that money goes to when i hit certain <laughs> tiers we've got a charity as well um not just towards the production of the podcast so uh it's a it's a win win if you're able to help out, help the podcast, and help military charities, which is superb. I like that, and I hope you see the value in it as well. Um, a final thank you to sponsors Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes. dot org or rugby number four heroes on social media. I will see you at their Beer Engine Festival on tenth and eleventh of May in Leamington Spa. You can find the deals at that event on Eventbrite and tickets. You book ahead, are only a fiver. If you rock up in the day, I think you're a tenner. It's going to be a awesome event get to it and lastly team rubicon uk crisis no not crisis disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers giving up their time and putting in huge effort to help people in the times of need both over the overseas and in the uk team rubicon uk.org hmm what's last oh leavers link leavers link event service leavers networking event which is free, happening on the third Tuesday of every month. I think the next one is the third Tuesday of this month, March, which is the nineteenth, I think, uh six thirty PM at the Colchester Garrison Officers Club uh up in Essex. Easy to find, great events to go to, get some good value if you're a service leader or if you're a um uh um if you're a business owner or are able to give a help advice or even point military veterans or people getting out towards jobs, come along be part of the gang awesome leave us linked on social media uh all over and linkedin yes enough to waffle thank you very much i'll see you at one of those events until next time out